we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. All right. Good morning, Joliet First. Good to see you this morning. Uh, happy Memorial Weekend. Uh, glad you're here today. Uh, yeah, we start a new series next week, which I'm looking forward to, called Grow Up. Yeah, that's right. Maybe somebody said that to you at one point, and what they were saying was, you are immature. And that's right. I know, the whole farting thing. Pretty immature, but still funny today. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're here today. My whole family's in town, and nothing is more intimidating than having your family and preaching in front of them. Yeah, you can celebrate that. Because they know your past, and they know that you probably shouldn't be a pastor and should be standing up in front of here in front of a bunch of people, you know? So... Anyway, I'm glad they're here. By the way, my son told a joke yesterday. We're celebrating the birthdays. That's why they're here. Miles and Carter's birthday. Thought it was funny. Maybe think you thought it'd be funny. Um, it's a yo mama joke. Y'all remember these? <laughs> Apparently they're coming back. So he said, hey, your mama's so old that she knew Burger King when he was a prince. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Okay, maybe not. Anyway, I thought it was funny at the time. We all laughed. It was pretty good. But Hey, we are in part three of this series called Get It, Got It, Good. You, you remember this? It's been a fun series. Looking forward to it. Uh, would you pray for me this morning as we begin uh, this last part of the series? Lord, we do give thanks for this time. I pray that you would be in the next few moments. I pray that you would give me the words, the passion, and the heart to share your good news with everyone here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, I remember when I was a youngster, a young kid, and um, the only thing that I cared about was sports, right? My brother and I, we would typically on a summer day go out and we'd play from sunup to sundown in football hutch pads, you know. He was the uh, uh, Cincinnati Bengals and I was usually the uh, Redskins and we'd play each other. But my parents were smart. See, they understood that we wouldn't get very far in life when it came to sports. And so they wanted us to be you know, well-rounded people. And so they decided that we should be in the arts. And so uh, at a young age, they decided, somebody thought it would be a good idea that we should start taking piano lessons. Dad, I don't know who came up with that idea, but yeah, mom's pointing the finger at him. Piano lessons. He said, I think it would be good for you to sit in school all day long for eight hours and then go to somebody's house to sit on a hardwood bench and play these white things that look like a bunch of like donkey's teeth. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why they thought that would be a good idea, but we did. And so I remember just thinking it was miserable because I had to go sit again for another hour, hour and a half while they played and I played. And... But I remember what was worse about it was uh, <laughs> the house. Now, I hated going to this place because it was busy. There were lots of children and lots of people. And worst of all, they had this golden retriever dog that was bald on the butt. It was like old and dying and all the hair was falling out. And he would like put his hind end in between your legs like, come on, pet me. And I'm like, oh, this is disgusting. It was like touching a sphinx cat. You know what a sphinx cat looks like? Come on. This is exactly what it was like. It was like petting this bald you know, it was just gross, and it just disgusted me. And I remember we had a good teacher. She was great. And, um, but once we got past, like, playing four notes at one time, it was well beyond what I was capable of doing. And so I just said I had enough of this. Like, 
I want to quit. And about the same time they said they wanted to quit. So we get in the old station wagon after, uh, you know, piano lessons. And we tell my mom, hey, we want to quit. And she said, well, you need to talk to your dad because, you know, it was his idea. He wants you to be in it. So you need to have that conversation with him. Now, my dad is always very calm. He's always been collected. Like you could say anything, do anything. And he'd just be like, okay, you know, no big deal. Not a big deal. And so we're telling him, hey, we're tired of going, you know, and playing for an hour and a half. We're tired of sitting on this bench. We're tired of petting the dog with no hair on his butt. Like, you know, we're just kind of sick of it. And we don't really want to, you know, be here and do this anymore. And so he said, well, that's fine. You can quit if you want. But then he said something that I'll never, ever, ever forget. He said, you don't understand this now. You may not get this now at your little small age, but he said, when you get older, you'll regret quitting. He said, you're totally going to regret it. And I remember thinking, yeah, whatever, until, until we got into high school, until we all started getting into musicals, and yeah, that's right, I know, I was in show choir, go ahead, make fun of me now. It was cool back then, and I was part of that. We, you know, was part of a quartet. In fact, I shared with our last service, some people don't know this, but I actually was part of the All-State Choir in Ohio. It was so much fun, and I learned so much, but what was crazy was being around those people, I was around a bunch of musicians who throughout their life decided not to quit. In fact, they stuck with it, and now they're way ahead of the game. And I'm way behind, and I'm thinking, man, I wish, I wish I would have listened to my dad. He was right. I wish I would have stuck with it because I would have been right where they were. And so I wonder, how many of you have ever quit anything in your life? Anybody quit anything? Come on, everybody raise your hand. You all quit something at something at some point. I mean, just think about four or five months ago when you said, hey, I'm not quitting anything. I'm, I'm trying a new lifestyle. And so I'm going to eat healthy. So you get all your leafy greens and your fruits and vegetables and you start eating well and you feel great. You know, you feel awesome. And then you go out to a party or you go out with friends or you're out with family. And next thing you know, there's a piece of pie or there's a piece of cake or there's something in front of your face that's sugary and it tastes good. And it's like Elf who's eating syrup and candy. And you're like, oh, I can't wait. And, and people who aren't healthy, they shame you, right? right? You're like, I'm good. I've been I'm on this diet. I'm eating healthy. I can't do that. And they start shaming you. Just one bite. Come on. It's not going to kill you. And so finally you give in. You ever done this? I do this all the time. You eat the one bite of cake. You eat the one bite of a fudge brownie. I love ice cream. Anything with chocolate and peanut butter, you got me. You eat one bite of that. And you're like, that's it, life's over, I'm done with the diet, I'm going back to the way I was, and you know, and you just start eating everything inside. You no longer care, you just quit your diet because you had one piece or one bite of sugar. Come on, relationships. Anybody quit at a relationship before? Maybe you've had a fiance, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and you know what, they liked you, but have you ever noticed that sometimes they like them more than they like you? And so they think you should be more like them. And so they start asking to change and exchange who you are to be more like them and less like you. You've had this experience and you're like, wow, this is a lot of maintenance. And so you say, I'm done, I'm done here. I'm quitting this one. I say all that to say that a lot of times in our life, and this is the truth, we quit it when we don't get it. 
Like, if we can't get it, we just quit it. You have been in a job before in your life that you, you maybe had a great interview, but the bottom line was when you got in the job, you realized it was well over your pay grade, and you had to quit it because you didn't get it. Maybe you've had... Um, Again, maybe a marriage, maybe you had a divorce, maybe it was just so complicated in your life that you couldn't, you couldn't continue to deal with it, and so you just had to quit. Anybody have hard conversations with people, and you get in a fight, and you're going back and forth, and you're like, fine, I'm just done. I can't seem to get where I need to go. And I say that to say this, that I think so many times as a pastor, the greatest heartbreak that I have is watching person after person after person after person give their life to Jesus. In fact, over the last three years, we've had well over 60-some people give their life to Jesus. But you're saying, where in the world are those 60 people? And that is my point. That the moment that something difficult comes up in life, they say, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't get it. Why would God? I can't get there. I quit. And so many people decide to walk away from their faith too early in life because they feel like they can't understand it and they can't get it. And so Jesus, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, Jesus gives us this parable intentionally that we won't understand. And the reason he does it is because he knows that he has a bunch of bobblehead followers. Come on, you've been in church your whole life, and so you just do this. I understand what you're saying, Pastor. I understand. I get it. I go to church all the time. I know what Jesus is saying. And then I walk out of here and say, what did we talk about today? I don't know. <laughs> But we do this. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. It makes sense to me. And she says, no, you don't understand it. In fact, I'm going to give you a parable that no matter how many times you read it and no matter how many times you've gone through it, you still won't get it, right? In fact, he starts it out. He says, a farmer went out to sow some seed and he scattered the seed and they fell along. Can you fill in the blanks? No, you can't because nobody ever remembers after that point. Like, it's like having a conversation with somebody you don't want to talk to. They give you two words and you zone out. You're thinking about what you're doing tomorrow, what you're going to have for lunch. Maybe some of you are already thinking about that right now. Uh, but my point is this, is you have no clue where that seed fell. Did it fall in, you know, grandma's garden? Did it fall on my roof? Did it fall in the 900 styrofoam cups that our teacher sent home to my house with sunflower seeds and pumpkin? I swear, I think these, I don't swear. I think some of these people... These teachers are out to get parents. They send home kids with these cute little seeds in styrofoam cups, and they're like this tall, and they're like, Mom, I brought home a pumpkin plant. Have you ever seen a pumpkin plant grow in the summer? I have like almost an acre of the yard, and that whole yard is taken up with a pumpkin plant. You ever seen a sunflower seed? Yeah, it's like not as small like this. It's, I, I, you know, they just send it home like, oh, here you go. This will be funny. But nobody ever remembers the parable that Jesus says. Nobody understands the parable that Jesus gives us. Nobody can ever explain it. And intentionally, he does this because he wants us, he wants to, all of us to lean in for just a moment. And he actually asks us in the story, he says, are you listening? Do you remember this from week one? Are you really paying attention to what I'm saying? Quit faking it until you make it. Quit nodding your head. I just need you to say no, because when you say no, that is when you start to grow. And so Luke understands. Luke, the writer of this story, who's rehashing everything that Jesus has to say, understands that you don't get it either. 
And so he wants to put all of this together. He and Jesus put this thing together, and they said, let's give this thing some life. Let's give it some vibrato. Let's let it make sense for just a second. And so Jesus says, this is a story about some of those people. And so Luke does really, I mean, he does something so interesting in the story. He takes three women who, as we said last week, people would say these were women with just potential. The worst compliment you could get in history is you've got potential. In other words, you're not even close to where you need to be. You don't get it. You're not even close. Just quit trying. These are these women. In fact, Luke introduces us to them as people who have just potential. They look like they're going nowhere in life. They're bad people. And so what he does is he takes these three women and he matches them up with the three soils that Jesus talks about. And so last week, you remember we met Mary Magdalene. Do you remember what her title was? The one whom seven demons had come out of. How would you like that title? And I know we get so focused on like, how cool would it be to watch an exorcism or watch The Exorcist or watch The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Anybody seen that movie? Wow, creepy stuff. But Luke says, hey, don't get caught up on the possession part. Get caught up on the seven part because seven is the number of completion. And the only point that I'm trying to make about this woman is that she is completely overwhelmed by an outside force. That Mary was completely overwhelmed by an outside force. You had this in your life. Come on. You have got up one morning and the only thing you could think about was that physical health condition you have. When you got up in the morning, you were wondering how you were going to pay for or how you are going to break up with. or That was the only thing that consumed you. And Jesus says, hey, man, this is the seed that was planted on the path. And I don't know if you know this, but I'm speaking life into you. I'm telling you who you are, but you are so completely overwhelmed. Your mind is so possessed, whatever's going on in your life, that you can't hear what I'm calling you to do. And then he introduces us to this lady named Joanna, the wife of, do you remember this, this guy's name? Come on, say it now. Huza, that's right. Somebody's back there paying attention. Thank you. We got one. The wife of Huza. Joanna was the wife of Huza, and you're saying, Huza, Huza. Well, Huza was the asset manager for Herod Antipas, which you're like, so what? Well, this is the guy that has money, he has power, he has palaces, he controls all of Galilee, and Joanna's husband actually controls everything that Herod Antipas controls. You're saying, why is that important? Because Joanna had access to all of this money and all of this wealth. And you can't, come on, you know this. Rich people, not that I would know, but rich people have more. They have a lot of stuff. And when you have a lot of stuff, you have a lot to maintain. And this was the point that Luke is making through Jesus' parable of the seed, is that Joanna spends most of her life maintaining a wealthy lifestyle. And we said, people who always maintain never move forward. In fact, people who are maintaining what they have, it stunts their maturity. And so Jesus says, hey, man, this is the seed that is placed among the thorns. And when, they, when it grows up, so do the weeds and the thistles. And they start thinking about, you know, where am I going to get this? When am I going to have this? They start maintaining all the goods that they have. And at the end of the day, they just never mature. And then we were introduced to my favorite, Susanna. Well, she doesn't get a title. 
And I think it is so intentional in the story because Jesus says, hey, man, this is the seed that's, that's put on the rock and it doesn't grow any roots. And the reason Susanna doesn't get a title is because there is no story anchoring her life. In other words, there is nothing known about her. And so last week when we ended with these three women, Janelle came up to me. And she said, man, your sermon is so depressing. Like you, you put these women in a light that there was no hope for them. They were a bunch of failures. Like they were never going to succeed. All they had was potential. And I said, that's perfect. That's right where we want to be. Because my guess is they were at a point in their life, many just like you, at a point in your life where you're like, man, I can't get it and I just want to quit it. I bet these women were on the verge, on the verge because people had said, like, this is all you'll ever live up to. They're like, fine, I'll just quit. And then Luke introduced to us the it factor. That's right, that's what we're calling it today. Just when we think that their life is hopeless, they have nowhere to go in life, that life is ending for them, that they'll never make a difference in history, Luke says, wait, 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 wait a minute. Here's the it factor. So here's what he says. He says, the 12 were with him, and there were also some women in their company who had been healed of various evil afflictions and illnesses. He continues, Mary, the one called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come from, and then Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's manager, and Susanna, along with many others who, check this out, used their considerable means to provide for the company. See, I think we would just read that and skip over it like, okay, cheers, that's awesome, good job. But Luke, as he writes this story, see, this is Luke's part of the story. This isn't Jesus' part of the story. This is Luke putting it all together as a way of saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. These women who had potential, who felt like giving up, said, in this moment, watch this. We are going to provide for Jesus' ministry. These women were rolling deep, and they were bankrolling Jesus and his ministry. They said, hey, listen, we are going to back a poor peasant from Nazareth whom everybody says nothing good will come from him. Because we understand, nobody says, hey, good will come from us, so we're going to risk it all. And we don't think about this. But we are here in this moment because three women funded Jesus' ministry. See, we, we can't understand it, this story, but Herod Antipas, this is so funny. Herod Antipas is backhandedly funding this ministry because his asset manager's wife is paying all of Jesus' bills. Have you ever noticed this in the story? That Herod is trying to wipe Jesus off of the face of the earth, and he is funding the very thing he's trying to get rid of. And the reason why we stand here today, the reason why we come to church, the reason why we are part of a community, the reason why people start compassionate ministry centers, the reason why people change other people's lives is not only because Jesus died on the cross for you, but it's because three women invested in what he was doing. Do you ever think about that? And what's even better about their story is when all the disciples, you know, all the men who had followed Jesus for three years, they're really tough and they're macho and we'll go to die for you, Jesus. You remember this part of the story, right? When it comes to the point where he's on the cross, who are there? 
Who's there? Well, Judas was out killing himself. Peter was out crying and sob, you know, sobbing away because he denied Jesus three times. But here at the foot of the cross, we find Mary sitting at his feet. We find the women gathered around. And what's even crazier is that on the first day of God's new world, who's at the garden? Who's at the tomb? Not Peter. Not John. No, they were in a room sulking their sorrows away. No, it was Mary who stands and looks at Jesus eye to eye, face to face. And literally the moment has changed the world for you, for me, and entire, entire history revolves around this moment. And she was there to witness it. And so Jesus provides a ginormous but in the story. Like there is a big but in the story because he knows that these women's lives could have been lived according to the seeds that Luke ties them with. He knows that they could have just lived to potential, that they could have just lived their lives doing absolutely nothing and nobody would have ever known anything about them. But then Jesus gives us the fourth soil as a way of saying these women's stories are summed up in this soil. In fact, he's saying your story should be summed up in this soil. And here's what he says. But the seed in the good earth, these are the good hearts who seize the word and check it out. Hold on no matter what. These are the good seeds who hold on no matter what, sticking with it until there's a harvest that produces something good. Holding on no matter what, sticking with it. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think about my parents, and I think about, um, other than being great parents, um, when I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about uh, people who have um, essentially stuck with it. See, I, in the late 80s, we, we had a little sister who was born, and her name was Emily. And when she had Down syndrome when she was born, and she lived uh, a total of seven months. And she had this unexpected heart disease that nobody had planned on or ever expected. By the way, uh, the no matter what moments are the ones that you least expect, that just kind of show up in your life unexpectedly, and they're painful, and they're hard, and they're difficult. And I remember uh, when, we, when, when she was taken to the hospital, and we ran into her room, and, and she wasn't there that morning, and then we ran into our our parents room and they shared the news with us that she had passed away I, I remember this and it was so painful but but I think about it and when I look back on it even through the funeral services and even through the death what I remember most is I had parents who probably were saying are you serious are, are you kidding me like why in the world why would this happen to, to my little girl? And you can, you can figure all the questions that would come to mind and all the doubts that you would have about God and why would he do this and why would he allow this and all the pain and suffering that would go along with it. But what I remember is that I had two parents. We had two parents who basically 
loved us in such a way that they decided, even though we've lost this little one, we're going to stick with it. That even in the pain and even in the hurt, God is still God. And I know it may not be a big deal to you, but if I wouldn't have had, parent, have had parents who stuck it out no matter what, I probably wouldn't be here. I probably wouldn't be married to Janelle. I probably would have never met Janelle. I probably would have never had two amazing boys like I do right now. Uh, my guess is that my brother and my sister would not be doing what they're doing if we wouldn't have parents who stuck with their faith in moments where they least expected something difficult to show up in their life. And my guess is all of you have moments where you're going through something, where you're experiencing something in your life where it feels like you just want to quit. You just want to stop. You just want to give up. And you're like, yeah, this whole faith thing, not for me. This is a joke. Where is God? Where is Jesus? Come on, you keep talking about how great this is and how awesome this life is. Well, right now, life sucks. So I want to quit. And, and here's what I know, and here's what I want you to know today. People who stick with it have stories worth sharing. Do you remember this in the first week when we met Jesus, and he begins to tell this parable, and he says, some of you need stories. Yeah, I'm talking to y'all right now. He says, some of you need stories. Some of you need stories. When you die, what goes in the obituary, nobody is going to give a rip about. Because you are currently living a life that is well below what God has called you to. And sometimes we feel like when we just want to quit it because we don't get it, we will always live a life that we want and not what God wants. And instead of sticking with it and instead of working it out, you will live a life that nobody will ever, ever give a care about. Because you have nothing worth sharing. so I go back to what is it? You're saying stick with it. What do you mean? Like what is it? And I think where these ladies get it, where Mary Joanna and Susanna get it is they heard these words from Jesus that he shares with you. And this is the it factor. If you remain in me you will produce something good. If you remain in me and I am in you, you will produce something good. You get it. You got it. Because this is the best part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. See, you're a part of Jesus. It's either you're apart from Jesus or you're a part of Jesus. And so today I want to just ask you that question, like deep down, let's just be honest, wherever you are in this moment, you're either apart from Jesus or you're a part of Jesus' story. And I want you to hear it clearly because church is not your life-giving source. 
Hearing from me, your Bible that can easily be burned or taken away from you is not your source of life. I'm sorry to tell you, but the person sitting next to you is not your source of life. Your baseball team, your wife, your kids, they are not your source of life. We want to be part of all those things. And Jesus says, hey, that's great. But apart from me, nobody will ever know anything about you. And so here's what I'm just going to ask you today. And this is where we'll end it. I just want to ask you, what part of Jesus do you have in your life? Either you're apart from him or you're a part of him. And I think these words are so true and so clear that Jesus sometimes says things, does things, and sometimes we experience things in life that don't make sense and we want to quit. But how committed are you to the process? So stick with it. Stick with Jesus. Because you will live a life like these women. A life that you look back and people say, they changed. They made a difference in. They changed the world.